Amen. Good morning. My name is Don Pizzotta, and I serve as one of the elders here at Crawford Avenue, and it's my joy to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. If you have your copy of Scripture, please turn with me to James chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles provided uh, in the seat in front of you, you'll find today's passage on 1011. James chapter 1, and I'm actually going to start reading in verse 18 instead of 19. So verse 18, James chapter 1, 18 through 27. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Knowing this, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your love and grace, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to gather together for worship. We thank you for your word, and we pray that by your grace that you would bless this time in your word, that our eyes and ears would be open to the truth of your word, that you, by your spirit, would speak to us from your word, and that your word would continue to transform us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray that you would be glorified in our time this morning, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So for those of you that don't know me, um, again, my name is Don Pizzotta, and a little bit of background, I served in the military for um, over 20 years and continue to serve as a civilian in the Army. And I share that not so that you would uh, feel some sense of uh, obligation to congratulate me on over 20 years. Um, I just did what I was trained to do. But I share that because there's a term in the military that fits our, our theme this morning. That term is drill. There's actually a manual that tells you how and what to drill in the military. Now, I'm not talking about the power tool. I'm talking about drill in the sense of practicing certain movements by which a unit or individuals can move on order from one point to another. The notion is that soldiers are doing, or actually in the military we actually call it executing orders. 
Military history, in fact, reveals that almost all armies throughout the world participated in some form of drill. The primary value of drill, historically, is to prepare troops for battle. In 1775, this country was striving for independence and existence. The nation's leaders were faced with this problem of not only establishing a government, but also organizing an army while they were already engaged in conflict. From the shot heard round the world on April 19, 1775, until Valley Forge in 1778, revolutionary forces were nothing more than a bunch of civilians gathered together to go into battle. They were fighting against a highly disciplined, highly disciplined British redcoats. General George Washington's troops had endured many hardships. They had suffered many losses at the hands of this more ordered and disciplined force. Recognizing the crisis, General Washington, through his ambassador to France, Benjamin Franklin, enlisted the help of a Prussian officer named Baron Frederick von Steuben. I love that name, by the way. Von Steuben was a former staff officer for Frederick the Great, and he was an expert at drill. So he began to take a group of 120 men, and he began to teach them. He instilled discipline in these men, and it became part of their military life. And for these select individuals, they learned to respond to commands without hesitation. Their confidence grew as each soldier perfected the art of obeying their drills, obedience to the commands that they were taught. Now, those who witnessed this transformation also became intrigued. This other men following orders and executing commands amazed them. The concept started to spread, and the Revolutionary War, from that point forward, started to change. Soldiers hearing the commands and then doing the action that was commanded. In many ways, at least in part, today's message, which I have entitled, Marks of a True Disciple, has to do with following orders. It also has to do with hearing and obeying commands. Not just the commands of a superior officer, but the commands from the supreme being. Our title again is Marks of a True Disciple, and I have to admit up front, this is a very popular title. Um, after I turned in that title, I googled it, and it's, there's a lot. So I'm not the originator of this title this morning. I'll give credit to Google, five million hits. Marks of a True Disciple is catchy. And I do think that it fits our message this morning. So we're going to stick with Marks of a True Disciple, and we're going to go from there. And as we walk through our passage, I want us to see five marks of a true disciple. This is not an exhaustive list. There are other marks that fit the mold of a mark of a disciple. But James is going to tell us about these five marks and that they must be present in the life of a disciple. Our five marks that will serve as our outline this morning are true disciples must, one, listen, two, control their tempers and their tongues. 
Three, true disciples must embrace the implanted word. Four, true disciples must be doers of the word. And five, true disciples must commit to love and serve, especially the needy. And if you're taking notes this morning, don't worry, I will repeat those notes, uh, those marks as we move along. But before we jump into the passage, I want, us to give us, I want to give us a little bit of a background on James. The author is James, sometimes referred to as James the Just. He's also the half-brother of Jesus, and he was known as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. The time period in which James writes this letter is about the mid-40s A.D., The letter as a whole is a call to action, and James is writing to a primarily Jewish Christian audience who, in their context, were facing very real persecution. Hopefully, you've been able to be here the past few weeks as Pastor Bert, our our lead pastor, has been walking us through and unpacking the Beatitudes. In the last Beatitude, from Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. James here is writing to Christians who were facing that type of persecution that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 5. And these believers are clinging to the promises of Matthew chapter 5, as well as the whole of God's word. James is calling these believers to remember their actions. To remember that their actions and the things that they do are a critical component of the Christian faith, even in the face of persecution. We also want to keep in mind this morning our church's mission statement. Our church's mission statement is that we want to be a church that glorifies God by making disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel. As we continue to consider what it looks like to be disciples and make disciples, this passage in James is going to shed some insight into that for us on what it takes. And that brings us to our first mark. The first mark of a true disciple is that they must listen. Look there at chapter 1, and in verse 19, James writes, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So there are over 1,050 commands in the New Testament. This letter that James writes actually constitutes about 55 of those commands. James is intending in this letter to instruct. We might even say that he's intending to train or drill. But the first thing that I want us to notice is the opening of verse 19. James says, know this, my beloved brothers. Now, beloved brothers is a theme that James uses throughout the letter. And and there's an important distinction about beloved brothers that James wants to communicate. His commands are coming from a place of love. And James says, know this, my beloved brothers, and here's the command. 
let everyone be. And then he lists these three things. Be what? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. There's a lot of wisdom in this saying. You might be thinking to yourself, well, of course it's wisdom. It's in the Bible. <laughs> but what I'm actually referring to is this, this saying comes from, James uses the biblical genre of wisdom literature. In James 19, James uses both Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. For example, in Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing is evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Be quick to hear. Naturally, our first question is, what is James? Hear what? What do we need to hear? And to answer that, we actually have to jump back a little bit to verse 18, where James says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So in this context, James is saying more than just be a good listener when others are talking to you. He's pointing to the specific thing God brought us forth by in verse 18, the word of truth. The word of truth here and all throughout the New Testament is the gospel. It's God's word. So be quick to hear the gospel message, the word of truth. Our scripture reading this morning, it was in Matthew's account of telling uh, the, uh, and explaining the parable of the sower, right? And if you remember, Jesus ended the parable with the words, he who has ears, let him hear. And then Jesus goes on to explain the parable to his disciples in verses 18 through 23. He talked about the importance of hearing in his explanation, how the word is hear, heard, heard, and received. There are four examples that Jesus uses in his explanation. Three of those examples are bad examples. One example is a good example. The importance of hearing and receiving the word. It's an important mark of a believer. In fact, we are dependent upon hearing for our faith. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God through the word of Christ. Brothers and sisters, know this. Be quick to hear. There are so many areas in life where we as believers would be wise to pause and listen, to take a breath and hear. None more important than when we are in God's Word, in our own quiet time, or in our time of small group Bible study, or in corporate worship, when we are hearing the Word sung and taught and preached and prayed Now, James does not mean to discourage conversation. That's not what he's saying. But he is showing us that disciples of Jesus are more eager to hear 
what God has to say than they are eager to say what they want to say. Be quick to hear. So true disciples must be good listeners. They must listen to the word of God. And now our second mark. True disciples must control their tongues and tempers. Look again at verse 19. James writes, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Again, the command, let everyone be slow to speak, slow to anger. Those are the two points of this mark of a true disciple. So why is a, why is a true disciple supposed to control their tongue and control their temper? Why should they be slow to speak and slow to anger? Well, we'll tackle the, we'll tackle the slow to speak first. You may have heard this saying before. We have two ears and one mouth, which ought to remind us that we should listen more than we speak. Honestly, though, we, we have to admit, if we really look at it, it is terribly difficult to listen to somebody else while we are talking to them. Like if they're talking and we're talking, you, you, we really can't listen. But James here is, is not primarily applying this command to be slow to speak to open conversations with other people. Remember, the context is, again, verse 18, the word of truth. So in that context, James is primarily concerned with how we are hearing the word of God. What is our tongue doing both inwardly and outwardly? Is our mouth running or is our mind running while we are hearing the word of God? Settling our tongues is both a physical thing, outward, and a heart thing, inward, right? James is also not saying here that disciples are not permitted to talk. We are permitted to talk, and we should speak, especially the truth. But we are to be careful when we share the truth, especially the truth of the gospel with other people. One commentator says it this way, quote, We should pursue every opportunity to read the word ourselves, to hear it preached and taught, and to discuss it with other believers who love, honor, and seek to obey it. We should boldly and confidently yet intentionally and deliberately be sensitive to the opportunities in our everyday life to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should do so with the idea of being slow to speak. But share, nonetheless. Share the gospel with others with care and intentionality. Controlling the tongue is a theme that James writes often throughout his letter. A little further down, in fact, in our passage this morning, go to verse 26, and James says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So be slow to speak in verse 19, and then 26 ties together with the failure to bridle the tongue, tying it to false religion. Another commentator says this, that James is, quote, honing in on unbridled speech as a representative sign of false religion. A man may go through all the outward motions of religion, attending worship service, 
observing the Christian sacraments, giving to the church. But if sinful patterns like gossip, coarse joking, and spiteful words characterize his speech, then his religion is exposed as an empty shell. James is not pulling punches here. He's putting disciples and believers through a drill, and he wants them to catch on to this idea. So then what, what then about anger does James have to say? So controlling the tongue and controlling our anger. James tells us to be slow to anger, and again, the context of this is still in the idea of the word of truth. James is talking about our human nature, the natural tendency for fallen man to immediately respond to something that harms or displeases our pride with anger. If it catches us off guard, watch out. Here comes the red face, the clenched jaw. We may have seen this in our time. James is pointing out that anger, especially against the truth of the Word of God, has no place in the mind or actions of a true disciple. Another example of this is, is Paul. Several weeks ago, we were going through the book of Galatians, and Pastor Burt walked us through and unpacked that book in terms of becoming a good disciple and making disciples. Paul was facing anger like the anger that James is talking about here when he was writing the truth or telling the truth to the church in Galatia. In Galatians 4.16, Paul is led to ask the question, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? The hearers of Paul's truth, and we know for a fact that Paul's truth was the gospel truth, that the hearers of that truth were mad at Paul. They were mad at Paul to the point that they either called him or led him to believe that he was their enemy. And really, they were not just mad at Paul. They were not just mad at the words that Paul spoke. No, they were mad at God. They were mad at the God who gave Paul those words. We can also say that this is not a new idea. Not new to James, not new to Paul, certainly not new to anyone else. If we were to paint a picture or, or create a collage of the history of fallen mankind, we would have to have included in that some sort of artistic portrayal of becoming angry at God and his word. One way to think about this is in reverse order of the way James writes it. So James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So a quick temper and a quick tongue and a slow ear equals disobedience to God. So what can that look like for us? Well, in a small but meaningful way, when we gather for corporate worship here, just like we did this morning, and we sit in our seats and we listen to the announcements, and each week we end the announcements with a word about why we are gathered here, followed by a time of silent prayer. What a blessing it is to have that time and that opportunity to set our hearts towards a holy God. To ask God to settle our hearts and minds to be able to listen and be quick to hear. To be silent and slow to speak. That we would be slow to anger 
or in other words, to be open to the word of truth so that it might transform us and reveal sin in our lives so that we would be led to and caused to repentance, the turning away of our sin. Friends, we ought to take advantage of all of those times, especially before we come into corporate worship. Amen? Our first mark of a true disciple is to listen, and our second is to control your tongue and temper. And these, two, these first two are, are further explained by James. He gives us the answer to why we are to do those things in verses 19 and 20. Look there again, and we read, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For, verse 20, or because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James is saying, let everyone, i.e., true disciples, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger because disobeying does not accomplish what is right in God's eyes. What is right in God's eyes or his righteousness cannot be the product of disobedience. James goes for like from super complicated to super simple. Just don't do it. And that brings us to our third mark of a true disciple, which is to embrace the implanted word. Look again at the text. James writes, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The therefore, at the beginning of verse 21, is also pointing us back to, to actually to verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now the key word, I'm sorry, the key words in verse 21 are receive and put away. We could understand what James is saying in verse 21 like this. Therefore, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul because you have put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. The phrase putting away means to rid yourself of or to take off. You're thinking in terms of soiled clothing. You want to get rid of the filthy clothing that you have on, you shed it. James is reminding his readers here of how grotesque sin actually is in the eyes of God. One commentator says this, quote, James is telling us that before God's word can produce his righteousness in us and save our souls, we must renounce and put away the sin in our lives that stands between us and that righteousness, end quote. We have to shed it or rid ourselves of the filthiness of sin and the rampant wickedness of sin in order for God's righteousness to permeate into our lives. Paul also uses this kind of language in several of his letters, including when addressing the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24, Paul says, But that is not the way you learned Christ. 
assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Then how do we do this? James is talking about we need to get rid of this thing. Paul echoes that same kind of sentiment. How do we do it? Where's the checklist for disciples that says, here's how you get rid of the filthy clothing that you carry with you every day? That's where James actually inserts the word receive. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word. James is pointing us to the reality that we are utterly and absolutely incapable of doing this on our own. Receive means to accept or to welcome. So we have a role to play in that, but there's someone who is giving it. Giving what? The implanted word from verse 21. The saving of our souls that comes from receiving that word, or in other words, our salvation comes from outside of ourselves. So who's the giver? Back to verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. God does the work. God does the work according to his perfect will. James is actually referring back to an Old Testament passage from Jeremiah 31-33. You might be familiar with this passage, where God promises to Israel the new covenant through Jeremiah. He says, this is God, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The believers here that are reading this letter from James, and those of us here this morning who, by God's grace, are believing and trusting in Jesus— are experiencing the fulfillment of that promise in the new covenant. But James doesn't stop there. There's actually a warning as well. A warning here for Christians. The warning is against presumption. Robert Plummer actually defines it this way, quote, James calls these ancient Christians not to passivity and nominalism, but to a believing and obedient response to the Christ-wrought act of God in their hearts, end quote. We see a little bit of this great truth and mystery of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in these, in these verses. And similarly, in Paul, back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul writes, we are his, this is God, that's God's, we are God's worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. <clears throat> One other point that James specifies is the way that we are to receive the implanted word, and that is with meekness. Another word for meekness is humility. So we have to walk into this understanding that we do not deserve the gift that the giver is giving. And although we are responsible for receiving it, we are to do so with humility or meekness. 
This is an unselfish receptiveness to God's gift. So up until this point, we've covered our, our first three marks of a true disciple. To one, listen. Two, control tongue and temper. Three, embrace the implanted word. And now our fourth mark of a true disciple to be a doer of the word. Look back at the text, picking up in verse 22. James writes, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Acknowledging that the word of God is implanted in our hearts by God, James also here is acknowledging that there is an external element to the word. And right off the bat in verse 22, James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. In other words, hear and obey. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 27, Matthew records Jesus' words in verse 21 through 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. James is pointing us and believers to a harsh reality. It's one that we see way too often in today's society of nominal Christianity. There are those who claim to be Christian who read thousands and thousands of passages of Scripture. They hear thousands upon thousands of sermons. They are taught thousands upon thousands of lessons but they never do a thing about it. They never do anything. They hear it, but they never respond. They never strive to respond to what they hear, to take action on the meaning behind the words that they hear. Friends, this is, actually, this is literally a life and, an eternal life and death situation. To understand the implications here in James... It echoes the entirety of the New Testament Scripture. Do not be a hearer only. We must do what we hear. Now, we're not saved by what we do. We are saved by grace alone. But as a saved believer, we are to do. We should act. 
Now, we are immeasurably blessed with technology and unlimited access to thousands of resources, sermons, commentaries, lessons, outlines, studies, histories, on and on and on. Hearing and reading godly sermons and lessons is a great thing. Hearing podcasts about the Bible and talking about all of those things. If you're not subscribed, subscribe to Commuter Bible. Shameless plug. Listen to the Word of God. I'm not telling anybody here, please don't mishear me. Listen to God's Word as often as you can. Hear it being preached. Read it for yourself. Listen to it being read. Pray God's Word. Join a church like here at Crawford that teaches God's Word, that strives to have a gospel-centered lessons each and every week. Definitely do all of those things and hear it. But do not be a hearer only. Disciples of Jesus Christ must do what they hear. In, in modern language, James is actually saying, stop kidding yourself. Stop deceiving yourselves. You cannot just go and listen to good teaching and preaching and then walk away and do nothing about it. True disciples are doers. Listen to how that theme runs throughout several other New Testament passages. You are my friends if you do what I command you, John 15, 14. If anyone loves me, Jesus says, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him, John 14, 23. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments, 1 John 2, 3. He who does not love me does not keep my words. John 14, 24, echoed in Luke 6, 46. And the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 1 John 2, 4. So let's pick it back up in James, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's an odd scene that James is painting here to convince us to be a doer of the word. It's interesting, though. A man looks in a mirror, sees himself, and then immediately forgets what he looks like. Summed up like this. Quick glance, forgetfulness, no action. This is an example of not a doer. The looks into in verse 25 is actually a different word in the original language. So you see in, in 23 and 24, looks is in there, the, the word looks. And then 25, looks into, is actually a different word in the original language. It's a more intent and deliberate looking. And James qualifies what is being looked into. James says, the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now, James is not exhorting these Jewish Christian believers of this context to study the Torah more carefully. 
the Old Testament Scriptures. He has already reminded us and them that they are now living in the days of the New Covenant that is fulfilled in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So James is reminding them of the truth that they should study, they should love, they should believe, they should obey the law, the Old Testament Scriptures, and they should do so with full understanding and confidence that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law. Jesus himself is the perfecter and fulfillment of the law, the perfect law, and the law of liberty, which Jesus, through his perfect life, death, and resurrection, secured. The perfect law, the law of liberty, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you might be here this morning, and and you might have questions about the law and the new covenant. You might wonder what it means that Jesus had a perfect life and died for our sins and was raised from the dead. If those kind of questions are entering into your mind, I would encourage you to seek after one of the elders here after the service and ask them what it looks like to follow Jesus. I would also encourage you to, even right now, pray. Pray that God would grant you repentance, that he would allow you to turn away from your sin and believe, that you would be given a heart that does not simply hear the gospel, but then acts upon it. That you would understand that Christ and Christ alone can save you and bring you from eternal death to eternal life. Our final mark of a true disciple, and this will be a little bit quicker, is that true disciples must commit to love and serve, especially the needy. Look there in verse 27, and we read these words. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word religion at the beginning of verse 27 is is a little complicated. There's a couple of possible different meanings that James could be using here. So for our purposes here this morning, we're going to focus on what James is not saying. And to do that, I'm going to use John Calvin. John Calvin, the great Protestant reformer, says this, quote, James does not generally define what religion is in verse 27, but instead reminds us that religion, without the things he mentions is nothing, end quote. With this in mind, James is saying that religion is, that is pure is undefiled before God, or in other words, true disciples must visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. Generally, in Scripture, widows and orphans are representative of any and all people's who are unable to care for themselves or are in need. Because of the economic and social structures of the ancient world, it was the orphan and the widow who were most in need of assistance. In the Old Testament, Israel was often told by God through the prophets that they were to protect, care for, and provide for the widow and the orphan. And God told them this so that it would show the world around them God's glory, the love of God. They were called to imitate God in this way. 
Imitate God in his great mercy and steadfast love, which is, by the way, the same mercy and steadfast love that God showed in protecting, caring for, and providing for Israel. Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. True disciples love and care for their neighbors, especially those in need or those who cannot care for themselves. And then keep yourselves unstained from the world. While loving your neighbor and providing for the needy is an outward act, James is careful here not to give off the impression that true God-pleasing religion is only outward. In other words, it's more than just social outreach. It's caring for the needy and at the same time, stock up on Scotchgard because you don't want any stains on you as you walk through this broken world. We are called to love our neighbors. Our passage today reminds me of the illusion that I shared at the beginning about the revolutionary soldiers who began to drill, to hear, and to do the commands that they were given. What strikes me most about that illustration, even in line with our our mission as a church to glorify God by making disciples, is not so much their efforts to learn the drills and then to execute them. That's impressive, but that's not what struck me. Consider what happened when those around those soldiers started to see what was happening by their obedience. They were drawn to it. They wanted to know what that was like. They wanted to be part of that discipline, that order. Imagine in our context as a church, wanting to make disciples, desiring to do that for God's glory. I would submit that James is actually telling us that we need to obey in order to do that. We need to do, and then those around us will see that we are doing. Those at work and at home, in our places of, in our neighborhoods and across the CSRA. They will see us listening and hearing. They will see us controlling our tongues and tempers. They will see us receive the implanted word with meekness. They will see that we are doers of that implanted word. They will see that we hear even when we love our neighbors, especially those who are in need. My prayer this morning is that we might be that kind of church, that we would be those kind of disciples, that we would do so for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your steadfast love and provisions. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And as we seek to glorify you, as we seek to honor you by making disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel, we pray that you would make us disciples who do. Give us strength to follow your commands. Give us wisdom and discernment to honor what we hear so that we are known as a church who are not just hearers, but we are known as a church 
who are hearers and doers. Give us a heart of love and service as an outpouring of the implanted word of truth that you have placed in us.